there and welcome to the Crafters Podcast, episode number 41. I'm Vicki Howell. This episode is sponsored by Whatify. Whatify is a tool for Etsy sellers that increases sales by an average of 10%, but as high as 30%. Whatify uses a data analysis technique called the A-B test to determine which of your existing product photos will attract the most customers to your shop. While consultants charge tens of thousands of dollars to run these tests for large businesses, what Wattify does is makes these tools available for everyone. Companies like Google, Amazon, and Facebook use scientific experiments to figure out what works. Wattify helps you do the same. It's easy, automatic, and you can try it for free, which means no credit card required. So uh, why not get started today? And because you are a Craftish listener, you get 20% off of a six-month subscription. All you need to do is enter Craftish, that's C-R-A-F-T-I-S-H, to redeem your coupon at checkout. So Craftish has been on hiatus for a little while. I've been working at On The Knit Show. Um, and so I have to say, it felt really good to dust off the old mic and reach out to another member of our global creative community. On this episode, I chat with South African embroidery artist, Danielle Clough. Her journey is an interesting one and her art just really blows me away. I've been following her fiance Noel's Instagram feed for a while now, so getting to talk to her about her technique, inspiration, and how American pop culture seeps into much of her work was really a treat. Let's meet her now. Danielle Clough, thank you so much for being on Craftish. Absolute pleasure. Such a treat to be here. I wanted to start a little, I wanted to talk about South Africa because we've on this podcast and just generally in the States where I am, it's pretty, you know, normal to talk about, you know, the state of handcrafting in, of course, in the United States, in Canada, and really all over Europe. But we we don't hear a lot about arts and crafts um, anywhere in Africa. And I was wondering if you would start by, so you are based in Cape Town, correct? Yeah. Yes, yeah. I wondered if you would sort of give us, paint us a little bit of picture of a picture about what the art and craft scene is like where you live. And that can be anything from, you know, our handicrafts taught in school to how popular they are in pop culture and in in your daily life. Okay, well, it's... Um it's it's really interesting, and I always feel like I um, I'm always a bit reluctant to be a, a voice um, in South Africa of South African culture because it is so so diverse and so beautifully rich. I mean this th- this country is is I'm sure as as most people know we have like a really really complex complicated um, history, mm-hmm. and 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 within that you know now at being Rainbow Nation we've got eleven official languages and we've got so like such a rich kind of um, range of 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 characters and art and crafts and stuff like that 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 stem from from different peoples I guess you can say for anywhere from like try you. How do you explain South Africa? Because we've, we've can we're you just please be the so spokesperson different. for an entire for an entire country? <laughs> Sorry, I, you know, and I probably could have worded oh, no. that. Just just your no, little no, pocket, maybe growing up. Yeah, well, so I um so growing up, it's kind of f- for me like the craft scene has always just been 
like a novelty thing, you know, like your parent, it, it's very much kind of like English, English, like typical, like mom and granny crafts, embroidery would kind of like sit within that antiquated art form. But then like, there's also a whole other spectrum of stuff. There's a big beadwork kind of community. If you look at things like Indebele art, which is the Indebele people are like, have got an incredible aesthetic. And then that lends itself to beadwork and, and tapestries. And so, so there's really like such a spectrum of, of what craft is in South Africa. So I think that you have like, it's, there's quite a strange relationship because it can be a lot of the crafts can be quite curio kind of centric stuff where tourists would end up buying like, you know, wooden giraffes mm -hmm. and a lot of right. beadwork that come, which, which is like traditional work. But then you've also got like your, the granny version of, of everything, which is quite European. So for me, I don't know, craft has kind of always just been this side thing that you just do on a Sunday and mom shows you how to potato print and stuff like that. So it's, as in, in terms of like what it means in South Africa, it's kind of strange and there's a massive spectrum. But to me personally, craft is kind of like a, it's kind of like a, an escapism, easy kind of, um, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it's, <laughs> Sorry, I'm waffling. It's not really, because I think it's one of those, I haven't know, even asked this it's question a vague, before. It's a very vague question, but I think, you know, for here, uh, you know, if you sort of look at a timeline of, of handcrafts and yours arguably because yours are so artful and we'll get into that in a second fall a little bit more on the art spectrum than the craft spectrum but which is also another topic I want to get into <laughs> but but for here where we are in the states very much handicrafts have been seen as quote-unquote women's work um over yeah. the over the decades however Although I in no way will insinuate that that has completely changed over the past at least decade, you really have seen careers being made. Not that they always they weren't always, but, it, but thanks to the internet, because yeah, beca completely because of the sort of broader community, the term DIY do it yourself has really sort of given a credibility to handicrafts that I think that had been well, taken I away. Think that a lot of that has to do with the fact that um, people are really drawn to things that are tangible. I think especially with crafts and DIY stuff, there's, there's a nostalgia attached to it, you know? So it's like, oh, something you saw your mom do or your dad do, you know, like, like the idea. And then the idea that something was made with patience and has a story attached to it. And now the internet like kind of advertises that story to everybody. And it's, you know, I think in this like, kind of digital age where everything is really disposable, we're hungry for something that, that, takes time and that was made by hand and do you know what I mean has like Absolutely. a very human connection so I think for I think for I think in, in a place like America it makes so much sense that that would have this there would be a big boom for that um South Africa is very different because we're so much smaller the market for kind of um artwork and it, it's not really the same and um, I find that most of my clients are actually in America mm. so it's 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 quite interesting to see I have, I have a really nice support system in South Africa but it's not the same it doesn't like it doesn't necessarily have monetary um kind of rewards so so and I think that you know because of the internet and how much how much bigger the social media kind of power is where you are compared to where we are 
I don't I definitely agree with you about the need of tangibility now. Um, we have so much coming at us at any given time. Um, and and especially as of late, there's been a lot of, well, at least for our part of the world, um, there's there's been a lot to to take in, and I think that if you yeah. also if you can feel like you're putting something positive out into the world, it makes you feel like you're doing something, even if it doesn't seem actionable directly related to whatever it is that you're fretting about. It seems actionable in the positivity realm, uh, and and it's escapism in a in a big way. You know, just to be producing something with your hands. It, it forces you to be present and just to be where you are and making something and focusing and especially, and I think where, where embroidery is kind of was maybe 10 years ago, just women's work and or considered women's work. I'm very reluctant to say that because I don't necessarily agree with it, but um, that idea of just like being exactly where you are creating something. And, and also I think with the DIY stuff where somebody is kind of giving you the formula of how to create something it takes a lot of the ego out of it. And mm-hmm. then you can be anywhere on the spectrum of creativity. You can be following a pattern to the T. And I know people who who are like accountants who, are, who really love doing cross-stitch and like can't work with embroidery because it's so meticulous. And it's, it's you know, if you're a perfectionist, that that's kind of a really nice safe space for you to be creative and, um, and like feed into your personality where you can do freestyle stuff or whatever it is. You, if that makes sense, you know? So I think, but you can't be anywhere else when you're doing something with your hands. And I, I, in this time, it's so important to have something to just plug out. Right. And and I did want to, I wanted to just clarify that when I use the term women's work, I'm speaking of it in a derogatory, in the derogatory is meaning that is often placed on all of, on all of us. And, and for me, it's really important to, spread the word that it, you know, whatever you do, if it's embroidery, knitting, crocheting, sewing, whatever it is, that's just a na- another form of expressing yourself create, create, creatively. It doesn't matter if you're a painter or a musician, you know, or an embroiderer, you are expressing yourself creatively. And you also, if you want it badly enough, can also make your living doing any combination of those things, which then takes it out of that place of, well, you're just doing it because it's an obligation or because it's expected, you know, it was expected of you to keep your family, you know, warm or decorated back in another time. Or you had nothing else to do. And then that was, you know, the thing that you would keep yourself occupied with in your space between making meals or, you know, however it's kind of seen or or however it was, yeah, used as a as a tool for some people, I think, I think it's quite interesting looking at that, like the massive over, overarch of, of a lot of these crafts, because a lot of them are actually, um, it's, it's like how it's changed throughout history that changes how we perceive these things. Cause I, I can't remember where I read it. I think it was about the woman who did all the embroidery for the game of Thrones costumes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um, she was talking about how embroidery was actually uh, like obviously Victorian times or uh, this is not verbatim, but it was actually one of the most highly paid professions. And I think it was through the industrialization of the needle that it started becoming like, you know, then it was became accessible to people. And then it was seen as like a housewife's craft. And, you know, so, so, and in this, in the bigger picture, these things have kind of come through these ebbs and flows. And I think we're in a, in an interesting time now where, 
where things are changing quite rapidly, you know, where people are taking these hobbies and these things that have kind of been, you know, frowned upon or not given the, the, um, the value that, that they deserve. And, um, and now are are making careers and lives for themselves out of it. I think it's Mm -hmm. super exciting to see how these ebbs and flows work with, with people and their passions. Well, and when something that's so, you know, heavily, you know, embedded in pop culture, like a project like Game of Thrones incorporates these sort of like art forms. I I had the opportunity to see a huge seven foot in part embroidered piece that was done um, for a particular event to promote Game of Thrones when I was in London last year um, that was done by the guild that did that, that you're speaking of. And it was breathtaking. I mean, it was absolutely museum quality art. And for me, I feel like just the fact that, you know, the people, the makers of Game Game of Thrones are using their voice to shine light on like the talent and the time and the dedication that an art form like that involves is really a step in the right direction, which, which brings me to my, to my, you know, my next thing, your work is so, uh, some of your work is so heavily in, or appears to be so heavily influenced by pop culture. Will you speak a little, a little to, and a lot of it, American pop culture, will you speak a little to that and, um, and how it, how pop culture are like, for example, um, Twin Peaks, you recently did several pieces for Twin Peaks. You've done, um, I think I saw Bill Mil- Bill Murray piece the other day. Can you speak yeah, a some little? Star Wars stuff. Yeah, can you, can you speak a little to how, to how pop culture influences your work and why? Well, I, I kind of, I'm always influenced just, it's usually, it's, it's kind of like a spontaneous thing, how I choose my pieces, especially when it's, you know, when it's um, portraiture and when it's quite light and quite fun. And it'll usually be as simple as me watching something and being really into it. And then just like, oh, that was so great and kind of moved by it. And I, I, I enjoy I enjoy doing things that, that that's recognizable and um, that really isn't serious. I think it's part of, you know, that escapism. And really for me, it's like I get to indulge in colors and and then put something out. Like I did a piece of um, Mia Wallace of Uma Thurman in um, Pulp Fiction. And mm-hmm. I just watched the movie again. And it's just like such a brilliant just piece of It's still so good. It's so it's good. It's so good. Yeah. And then to, to just like, you know, I was like, I really wanted to work with like a pink and blue palette. And I just seen the movie. And I was like, oh, she's so amazing. I'm going to just sew her face on some pink fabric. (laughs) And And that one's actually in an embroidery hoop, which is very unusual for you. You, It seems like you tend to go for sort of unusual canvases. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was the fabric for me that was like quite excited, you know, that I was quite excited by on that for that piece. And, um, it's, it's quite often like a not very deep story, but, but just like something that's quite visceral, you know, you watch something and you're excited about it and I get excited about colors. And then I just want to indulge in that process and indulge in that kind of like that's the subjects and and also because embroidery maybe it's because it hasn't it's not taken so seriously um and i i almost enjoy that i enjoy i enjoy kind of being a crafter and not an artist um i i find that art has got to represent something emotive and i think sometimes 
it's really nice to just do something that's visual. And for me, it's, you know, there's people have a lot of like connection to pop culture. And like, I have my own connections to these kind of these movies or these characters or, you know, like uh, princess Leia and what she represented to us, like growing up, you know? Um, and then, yeah. And just to create something that's fun and light and easy and, uh, yeah, it's, it's for me, that's kind of the best way to spend my day. That makes any sense. For you, what is the, what's the difference, if anything, between art and craft? Um, I think that art is, art is kind of like has to have a story and has to have something that is, has to have like some kind of emotive um, motivation behind it. I think often, you know, like art has got to be telling you something and it's got to incite some kind of feeling within you, even if that isn't a positive one. Even if it's, it's you know, if you look at something and you feel quite disgusted, that still doesn't, it doesn't make, just because it's not aesthetically pleasing, it doesn't make it not art. Whereas I think something that's a craft doesn't necessarily have to have the same weight attached to it. Um, it's a, it's a difficult one because maybe you write some, yeah, I think maybe it's the, it's the intent in the work that you're creating. Um, and that's why I think that there are people who use crafts, kind of craft mediums like embroidery or um, weaving to, to make art because then the work is emotive. Do you think that there is any more weighted value in one word over the other? Abs- no, not at all. I mean, I think if whatever, whatever it means to you and whatever moves you and it's really, for me, I think it's more important to that. Everybody just, um, listens to themselves when they, when they're engaging with anything around them and anything they choose to, whether if they're going to a gallery and looking at something, or if they're going to a craft store, if, if it moves you and it excites you or it, it does something for you, that's totally up to the person or the viewer's preference. And for me, it's just, it's not my, I, I don't feel like it's my job to, to cater to one market or another or kind of to everyone. It's just to make, for me, I just feel it's important for me to make stuff and hopefully people like it and it's positive, you know, putting something positive into the world. Mm-hmm. I don't think that one is better than the other. If, if the work, if, you know, if somebody creates the beautiful art pieces that tell intense stories that educate people that is equally as important as somebody creating something that just looks beautiful and makes somebody smile. You talked about the emotions that certain movies sort of strike within yourself Mm -hmm. and how you, you then translate that into some of your work. And I wonder if that sort of like sort of the visceral explanation. I was wondering if you would, if you would talk a little bit um, technically to us about your process. Your, your embroidery is very painterly. It's very much a, you can, you can absolutely tell that you have a background in art and photography. And I was wondering if you would just sort of explain a little bit about how you go from the idea in your head to uh, the work that we see. Um, I kind of, I've been trying to, trying to tap into, to what that is and and how, you know, sometimes when you're feeling a little unmotivated, you're like, what was it that made me excited? So I can just force it. Um, and I've realized that I've kind of got two avenues of, of doing things. One would be it, one is usually involved around like a material or a tool or something where I feel challenged. So I'll go like, I'll find, 
um, like with the rackets or, you know, finding chicken wire or, you know, a strange fabric on the side of the street, like nettings or something like that and going, I really want to make something with this. And then the material dictates the, that kind of like excitement towards it. And then the second thing is usually, is usually just like a very spontaneous, like, like with the pop culture references, like seeing something like a, a visual and then wanting to reinterpret that. So often, and, and very often it's something really simple, like fruits and, you, you know, like animals or, or, you know, or I'll see a color and be really excited about it. Um, and then choose my subjects around it like a pink and then choose a flamingo or something. Mm -hmm. And then for me, my, so, so it's kind of, those are usually the, the instigators to like creating something. And then the process is usually I'll either source the images and then kind of work and paint a picture about around it. So working with or taking photographs of a friend or fruit or, and then, um, I really enjoy that part of the process, that preparation part. Um, and then, so, so kind of creating the image that I'm going to be working off. And then when I find like, I'm really excited about that part, like that that's done and, you know, I'm excited that it's over. Um, then I'll normally move to putting that onto fabric and embroidering it. Um, and a big part of how the photography works into that is, is through like editing and playing with lights. And then I always work with a black and white reference images to kind of find, um, my own color ranges within that. So are you actually just adding all of, because you, you use so many different colors for highlights and shadowing um, in your work. Are you, is that something that is sort of hand-drawn first and then you're translating it? Or are you just kind of riffing um, with your thread as you go along? Usually riffing. Wow. Yeah. I get, <laughs> I get quite bored of colors. I'll be doing something in like a green and I'm like, oh, I look at another green. <laughs> I couldn't do it. And then I'll be like, oh, and then, you know, you see another a purple and it's just exciting. And then I'll just throw that in the shadows. And that's kind of how I choose my color palettes is really just through, through, I don't know, just through intuition or Intuition and boredom. <laughs> Intuition and boredom. <laughs> that, um, does that mean that you start with a general outline of a face? Because it's you have to create, like, if you want something to look exactly like Amanda Palmer from Twin Peaks, you know, you have to at least create the structure the, around yeah, yeah, yeah. Our little face. No, I face. always put line work down. I always put kind of the line work down onto the fabric or to the, to the surface. So whether I've like drawn it before and then I transfer it, or if it's a photograph, I'll transfer it directly. That's so it's, yeah, it's always kind of, I mean, for me, I've always seen it just as like coloring in with thread. <laughs> right. But a lot, you know, a lot of, uh, of people without your skull coloring in means just filling in with solid color and yours are just sort of this like palette of, of just interest. Um, yeah. Of, lo of lots of colors. Well, I mean, lots I think colors, it's also, yeah. that's why I love embroidery so much is because the, um, you're almost not as committed to, to your mistakes, you know, so you can layer over in there. My, my work in tends to be quite thick, you know, cause I'll, mm -hmm. I'll go back over something cause I'm not happy with it or, you know, you can unpick it. It's, it's not the same as paint where you like, you put down a color and you're like, Ooh. <laughs> right, right, right. Okay. Next canvas, you know, what uh, you went to school for photography and graphic design what and and probably more art I actually went to a to an advertising school so I went to a school called red and yellow which I know it doesn't sound like a 
school, <laughs> was um, an advertising school in Cape Town. And there was, you know, the, the main subjects were art direction and graphic design. And there was a lot of freedom in the course to kind of um, take whatever you were into and implement it into your project. Because we would have to create these like ad campaigns around around our, our thoughts and ideas, you know. So, um, and they would always kind of lean towards your passion. So I remember I did a project um, which was like a, obviously a fake advert for Wool and the Gang. And then I would like, I made like these different products and I'd done all the stuff with wool because that was obviously the craft was an interest to me. And then we would take photographs. So I kind of self-taught, I, I was taught, I'm, I'm quite self-taught in a lot of different mediums through through the, like the school. And um, the advertising was really helpful because it gave me a lot of insights on how to like self-market and create a lot of my own brand identity and stuff like that. Yeah, that's that's a invaluable before we were before we were actually recording we were talking about how how marketing is is sort of paramount to being an artist today and that what a wonderful foundation for you to have with both photography and marketing uh it's it was completely invaluable and it's it's one of those things where you know, I've always had, I actually studied fashion design for two weeks and then I just, I just didn't enjoy it. And I was so geared to be this fashion designer. I was going to be the world's best fashion designer. <laughs> and two weeks later, I was like, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I used to wear these horrible jackets that I made like out of curtains. And I couldn't put my arms down properly. I was like so dedicated <laughs> to it. Um, and so when I went to red and yellow, it was kind of like, because I had realized through, through specializing in fashion that I didn't want to just do one thing. I actually wanted to be a part of like the full creative process. I wanted to have the ideas. I wanted to be able to take the photographs. I wanted to be able to make the product, you know, and, and, um, I've always been like really drawn to, to that, the, the, that multidisciplinary is that the word <laughs> or like just to be, to be, um, have a variety of skills. It's always appealed to me. So the advertising school really helped with that because I think, and I, I was lucky that, that that was kind of like a natural, um, a natural kind of desire of mine because it has, you know, put me in a position now where I can design certain elements myself and take my own photographs and, put that into, you know, put that into a craft kind of sphere and, and stuff like that. Um, was but, that decision, yeah. sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Was that decision no, no. Uh, to transition from sort of one major to another at all influenced by your love of South African street culture and what was um, going on at the time that you were in school within that culture? Definitely. I think it's, I think for me, I just wanted to, that, that feeling of wanting to be involved in everything and not being kind of um, pigeonholed into one thing was, was being able to just um, kind of be connected to everything and anything, you know, and that, that is like, I, I think one of my first jobs was I was just shooting events. So I would do it for free and I would just go to all these different parties and I was like really young. I actually, I think I was 17 when I started a project. I just got my first camera and I decided I was going to just shoot all these parties and I was going to document um, fashion through, and this was kind of part of the fashion and the street culture and how this all merged. And I was going to document parties for like 20 years and then make a book, <laughs> which when you're 17 is a big commitment. Um, so, and it was called um, Fuck Off, I'm Raving. And then I would just sneak into parties and take photos. 
And then, you know, a lot of those photographs, it was like through the love of the street culture that the photography grew and then, you know, and then not wanting to let go of that photography, which is something that I would have had to do with fashion. Mm -hmm. So knowing that I wanted to do everything. So I think, I think any kind of love for anything, whether it's music, street culture, design, numbers, books, anything that you like that, that you nurtured will feed into something bigger. You did end up though doing artwork for a book, a, a book of poetry though, didn't you? Oh, I've done, yeah, I've done a few um, books. My, my gran, who's my hero, she does, um, she writes poetry books. I think she got her first book of poems published when she was 77. Oh, and she wow. asked me if I would do, yeah, <laughs> she's my hero. And she asked me to do the cover. And then through that, I was connected to a publishing company. And I did proceeded to do her second book, which was when she was 80. And then now we only self-published together. So I did, recently did that. <laughs> what a wonderful um, story. Well, what's yeah, what's the latest one out? Let's make sure and give give Graham um, a little credit. It's called Portrait and Threats. Um, I think it's actually, I've got a few on sale um, on my website and we're working on her next self-published book. So she's around, she's got her own blog called margaretclough.blogspot.com. And um, yeah, she's also taught me that you don't have to live one life. I think she was a, she was a, a biologist and um, she worked, you know, in, in a science lab her whole life and started writing in her late sixties. And now she's, you know, just self-publishing because it's easier because dealing with publishers is hard work. So it's quite, it's, it's really affirming. I've done a few other book covers since then, which has been really, I mean, I, it's the same thing of feeding into things that are tangible. It's so nice to have your work in a, in like a physical space, you know? Mm-hmm. What a wonderful influence, man. <laughs> at what point did did embroidery enter enter your life as as your sort of like focal medium um well it entered kind of accidentally I, I always say I kind of found it through a sequence of mistakes and opportunities um when I was when I was studying I used to make these plush toys because I had I had the sewing kind of experience from the being the world's fa- best fashion designer mm-hmm. ever, Saga. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I would make plush toys. So because people were, the, the people I was studying with were all very creative, they would draw these monsters and the school was above a sewing shop. So we would go down to the sewing shop, buy the fabrics, and I would just sew them up. And then I would draw the details on with thread. And then I kind of kept drawing with thread on fabric. And then um, only really realized later, like two years later, that that was embroidery and had been around for centuries because I almost thought I had I <laughs> some I had created this new art form, <laughs> much to the dismay of my ego. It had been around forever, and um, and then I think you know I kept kind of doing it just on the side and as a hobby. And then about a year, two years ago, just under two years ago, um, Colossal featured my rackets, and then that kind of took over. Um, you know, the orders started kind of coming in and they kind of took over and I had to leave my freelance design work and, um, my, my visual work as well. I just kind of had to put that on the back burner and now it's my life, which I'm very, very, very grateful for. And you're working for, of course you do loads of commissions, but you're also, you know, for private commissions, but you're also working with some larger companies like Adobe and and Gucci. I saw what, what type of work do you do for them? Um, 
for Adobe and Gucci in particular, those those jobs were amazing because I've noticed that there's, especially when it comes to branding, you know, people aren't responding to adverts anymore and things with the logos. Um, people really like stories. So a lot of these big brands are kind of um, trying to invest in artists and give them a space to create something from like a very real place. And then just by, by facilitating that creativity, then they use that as content. So the work that I did with Gucci is they actually wanted a video of me just bringing a pair of the 24-hour Ace shoes alive, and they chose 18 artists around the world to do that. Um, so there was a lot of freedom in it, which is, I mean, it's really amazing to wow. see that brands are kind of cottoning on to, to what, um, you know, different people are doing and just allowing them the space to do that. And then the Adobe job was a collaboration, actually. It was part of their Collabograms program, and they gave me and um, – a Mexican metal artist, um, just basically the freedom to make what we wanted to make. And we made this like big metal scorpion with these embroideries on the pincers. And yeah, so it's, it's been really interesting to see the brand, how, how these big brands are really, um, really actually giving, um, artists and creatives like a lot of freedom to, to just do what they want to and just facilitating that. It's really, it's a really good time to be around. <laughs> yeah. And again, that's internet. another, that's another sort of, you know, we spoke about Game of Thrones earlier, but that's another sort of like, I don't know if you can consider fashion pop culture, but, but these are reputable brands that are shining lights on both art and craft and artisanship for metalwork, um, which is definitely, it's just such a, an exciting direction. I know it really is. And I think, I think in a time when, when we're, we're so um, saturated with such negativity and, and really like we're, we're going through such difficult times. I think that it's important for us to kind of like look around and see how many people are um, and, and, and corporations and stuff like that who are actually kind of changing their ethos and being like, you know what, it's not like hire a designer and pay them nothing and make them do everything. And that's what creativity is where things like, you know, where the marketing departments are, are growing and a lot of people are going freelance and really kind of living the lives that they want to live through their passions. Yeah. Mm. Let's talk a little bit more about, about, um, difficult times and, and how art and craft can sort of help one rise from the ashes as it were you've shared with me recently that you've gone through some hard times and and I think that that's something that listeners at least of this podcast but I think that just us as 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 a society really sort of like um gravitate towards making and and creating when we're going through periods of unrest would you speak a little to that yeah, I mean, it's it's quite it's like I said earlier, like that idea of of using your hands and being present, and and not you know if you if you're sanding a table, you can't like wallow in self pity because you've got to be there and make sure that you don't like hurt yourself. And it's the same, you know, with any kind of craft. Or um, I think that there's there's a meditative quality to 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 making things and really kind of um, putting something out into the world, you know, creating something and putting something out out there when, when, um, what's coming at you in, and the things that you're dealing with internally are difficult, you know, and giving yourself space to like process that whether you, I don't know, following a pattern and it just kind of like, just takes you somewhere else. And you just like slowly rhythmically going through 
the work and then in the same way kind of combing through your thoughts or if you're painting something big and aggressive and being able to kind of physically like um, just physically just show your feelings or, or, or express them. I think that like that idea of being able to, to move and to make something just, it does change things and to distract yourself, you know, it's so much so important to be a, a constructive a person in society, especially when maybe not in society, but just within your own world. Um, especially when things are feeling like very destructive or when you feel like things around you are falling apart. So I wonder if, you know, part of, of art and cra- craft being part of the healing process is because of, you know, all of the things that you're saying about sort of like stepping away and working through the threads, but also when you get into that mental space, perhaps you can see things from a different perspective. I think so. I think, you know, like also, like I said, it totally depends on, on, where you are on the spectrum and why you do it. You know, some people do it because it's the one thing that they do that's not in front of a computer. Um, other people do it because they know that they would be on their phone or because, you, do you know what I mean? There's so many, re- I think everybody has such individual reasons for why they get enjoyment out of um, craft work that know, even knowing yourself well enough to know why you enjoy it mm-hmm. and then to to feed into that and to give yourself that space. It's, we don't often do that. We don't often allow ourselves the space to just do the things that we enjoy, you know, and it's, it's often like in the most difficult times where we are trying to like nurture self a bit more self love, um, or, or get through something that, that doing that one thing, um, that we know we enjoy for whatever reason that is, is actually the most healing part, giving yourself that, that reward, I guess, or time. You actually said something in an interview on sarahbenning.com um, that I that I feel like is kind of a metaphor for what we're talking about. You said, when you are working on something and it just doesn't feel quite right, look at it upside down. And I know that you were talking specifically about artwork, but I think I think it's it really sort of like works <laughs> on yeah, an existential and, and level bit. as well. Completely. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, it's such a nice thing to be able to, to make something. I think that that's just, that's just human nature. Making things is just so valuable. And I think that doesn't necessarily just have to be art, whether it's a meal, you know, there's something so everybody has their, their thing that they do. You know, I think for some people it's making money for some people, it's, um, making people, other people happy, making people laugh, but any kind of like form of creation or creativity or whatever is, is just, it, it has its, it has a really powerful effect. And I think if you don't necessarily know what's wrong, like you say, just look at something upside down and, and then you can ha- see it in a different way and then, yeah, and make something from that. Well, Danielle, this has been such a pleasure. And I, <laughs> I love, ugh, I absolutely love just going through your Instagram feed and your Etsy oh, shop. Thank and you. It's just, your work is just breathtaking and unique you. and unusual in the best possible way. So thank you so much for sharing some of that with us. Oh, thank you. It's an absolute pleasure. For more information on Danielle and to see some of the pieces that we talked about during the episode, go to her show notes page at vickihowell.com slash craftish. Thanks again to our sponsor, Whatify, who would like to give Craftish listeners 20% off a six-month subscription. Just go to whatify.com and use code craftish at checkout. 
Craftish is a Camp Bell production. It's produced in Austin, Texas by me and mixed and edited by Dave Campbell. Music is provided by Explosions in the Sky. Well, I'm focused on promoting my new series, The Knit Show with Vicki Howell. These podcast episodes may be a little sporadic, maybe a lot sporadic. But please, if you would just refresh your feed every once in a while to check up on us, we'd really appreciate it. And um, if you know there's somebody in your life that likes to knit or crochet, pretty, pretty please have them check out The Knit Show. The entire first season, which includes over 20 expert guests and designers, plus at least as many free projects can be found on YouTube or at thenitshow.com. Until next time, bust out that calendar though. It's about to be the holidays and I know how busy you are, but please make sure that you take some time for yourself to be creative. You've earned it, I promise. Breathe in, craft out.